Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. This episode is all about family, animals, and the insanity that takes place when they cross paths. Prepare yourselves. Ophidiophobia is the fear of snakes. Nothing too unheard of. Hell, even Indiana Jones was afraid of snakes. And why shouldn't he be? They're creepy. Slithering around, their tongues scanning the air for their prey, right before pouncing and sinking their fangs into your flesh. Yeah, I said your flesh. With that said, if you also happen to have ophidiophobia, this first story is right up your alley. Written by author D.L. Schindler, I present Granny vs. Snake. Last summer is when it happened. My son was finally over a year old, and I was willing to leave him at my mom's house with her and go out with Lamar. We needed some time to get back together. He was an okay dad, spending time with me and his son. I only wish we hadn't broken up. We both wanted to get back together. We just needed some time to sort things out. I had felt something awful after dinner, and I had wanted to go home. It wasn't Lamar. He was being very good to me and paying for everything because he had a new job. I could really believe he was sorry and wanted me and his son back in his life. But something was terribly wrong back at home. When we got back to the apartments, we were met by my mother's neighbor, Mrs. Peabody. She was standing outside her own apartment. She had Lamar Jr. at her place. She promised me he was asleep and that he was perfectly fine. Where's my mom? I asked, a dreadful fear creeping up inside my throat. All the signs pointed to something being horribly and terribly wrong. Was she alive? Your mother, Mrs. Peabody said slowly, is at the hospital. I thought she called you. Nobody called. Jalara knew she had to come home. What's going on? Lamar asked for me. Raven is the bravest and strongest woman I know, Mrs. Peabody proclaimed. I don't know all of what happened, but she killed that monster and saved her grandson. What? I felt tears in my eyes. Where's my son? He's fine. He's sleeping, like I said, Mrs. Peabody repeated herself. The police and animal control just left, right after the ambulance. Ambulance? I was distressed. I needed to see my son, but I needed to know my mother was alright. It didn't sound like she was. I'm sorry, baby girl. I don't know how she is. That monster did some damage to her. I'm praying for her. That's the best I can do. Mrs. Peabody led us into her apartment and to Lamar Jr. 
I sat down with him and started to cry from confusion and fear. I laid down beside my napping child and held him. I'm never going to leave you alone, not ever again, I whispered. I'm going upstairs to get the diapers. Lamar put his strong hand on my hip and told me where he was going. I'll be right back. He left us momentarily and went upstairs to get the diaper bag. He came back with his eyes wide with disturbance at what he had seen. I sat up slowly with dreadful terror at the circumstances I was about to know. He set down the diaper bag and a teddy bear. Then he just sat there for a long time, staring soberly at his son. I could see something had changed in my man. His eyes looked different, and that look never left him. He was changed by what he knew. Tell me what happened, I told him. He shook his head slowly, his own fear too strong for him to speak. After a while, he said, It's a mess. He began slowly. Blood everywhere. What? I gasped in horror. I looked at my little boy and trembled. What monster had come for him? Everything is knocked over. He continued in a quiet voice. Window in your room is open. I think that's how. What? I asked when he stopped talking. He sighed and picked up the teddy bear. It had a nanny cam and recorded up to eight hours at a time. He unzipped its back and looked at me for approval at what he was doing. He knew about it because he was the one who bought it for me, at the time when he started trying to get me back. He had hoped it would help to get me out of the house so he can spend some alone time with me. When he finally did get me alone, he had treated me perfectly, very sincere and determined to earn my forgiveness. I nodded, and he extracted the USB cable from it to plug into his phone. We had matching phones because he had bought a new one for me too. He wasn't surprised I had spied on my mom by setting up the bear. The toy was really a video camera and microphone inside of a stuffed teddy bear. He was watching it from the beginning, and I could hear my mom singing to Lamar Jr. His dad was smiling as he watched that part, even though he knew it was going to get awful. Things went quiet, and he watched for a little while and commented, He sleeps a lot. Well, he is your son, I said on impulse, and somehow it made us both laugh a little with some kind of comic relief. Anything to break the tension. Lamar began to fast forward the video until he got to the part where things got scary. I could only see his reaction. His eyes widened and darted from his phone to his son and back to reassure himself of the outcome. Then, an awful horror crept across his face and I could feel his fear 
gnawing inside of me like the teeth of some primeval reptile. He gasped and looked away, and then looked back. I began to hear my mother screaming in the video. Lamar turned down the volume so it was less intense. As he was turning it down, her screams grew more horrified and loud. Finally, he nearly had it on mute. I could still hear her noises as she struggled with some unknown and monstrous intruder. Lamar, I asked him with my eyes watering, my voice breaking. I kept covering my mouth like he was doing. I could see his eyes had become like orbs of tears, ready to spill across his cheeks and fingers while he covered his mouth and stared at the nightmare. I feel sick. He coughed after it was over. I could hear my mother moaning in pain and my baby crying. Whatever had happened was over, but the pain and terror lingered on, the part of the monster that could never be killed. Lamar retreated from the room to collect himself out on the porch. I slowly got up and looked at his phone. The most frightening horror movie in my world was still playing. I couldn't look at first. I'm not someone who likes scary things. I certainly don't like horror movies. I got scared watching the third Ghostbusters, and it was supposed to be funny. My mother was a beautiful singer. When she was just Raven, she was a singer. She even performed with Cool Modi. She has a framed picture someone took of her on stage with him performing live. She just sings gospel music now, but her voice is still very beautiful. While her grandson was asleep, she left the room. I fast-forwarded until I saw it. I stopped the video and gasped at the sight. In the open window, it had appeared. A giant snake. It moved inexorably towards my son where he slept and it was obviously going to eat him. Nothing scares me more than snakes. I couldn't watch. My whole body was tingling. My nerves were frayed. I was hyperventilating and sweating while I watched it crawl. It slithered up to him and tasted him with its tongue. Then it lifted itself and opened its mouth, unhinging its jaw. I knew it could wrap him up and crush his bones before eating him. That's what it was going to do, I just knew it. I had to look where Lamar Jr. was sleeping to know that he would be fine. He was still sleeping soundly. I turned my attention back to the video. That's when Raven attacked it. She came out of nowhere, screaming, No! 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 And grasping the snake's head in her hands. She pulled it away from him. She dug her nails into its eyes and pushed it against the dresser. The snake wasted no time using its strength to fight back. It began to writhe and coil itself, 
trying to wrap itself around my mom while she held its head in her blood-covered fingers. At this point, Lamar Jr. woke up and started crying from all the noise. Raven wrestled and dragged and rolled the serpent out of the room, which stopped me from seeing everything that was happening. Then I saw that one of her arms was hanging limp at her side. She had broken it. She still had one good arm, though, and she collected a piece of a broken wooden chair they had fallen onto. The snake seemed to be done with her and was crawling away. Raven was on her knees, crossing the floor with the stake raised. I could hear the pinched, hissing noise from the snake the first time she stabbed it. With grunting effort, she pulled the wooden shard free and raised it again. She had enough strength and fury to stab it five more times before she collapsed beside it. There she laid, moaning in agony. She was covered in cuts and bruises. The snake had even bitten her cheek, pulling a piece of her face off with it. The incredible awfulness of it all somehow made me feel numb. I felt strangely calm as it turned off and looked back at my son. I snuggled up next to him and waited for his father to come snuggle next to me. After he was ready, he came back and comforted me. I'll stay here to guard him. He'll be fine. You have to go see your mother, Lamar said quietly. I'm in no condition to drive. My numbness wore off as soon as I felt safe and I was speaking. My voice broke up and I began to sob. Mrs. Peabody can take you. She can drive my car. You gotta go see her. Lamar was adamant. Okay. I sniffed. Then I realized that he never let anyone drive his car. I had sometimes felt jealous that he was more territorial about his car than he was about me. I laughed, that kind of laugh that comes from someone who was just crying, and replied, You never let anyone drive your car. It's just a car, he said, like he was a totally different person. And that was my proof. I kissed him with all my love and left him and his son so I could go see my mom. Before I left, I heard him say for the first time since we were together, I love you. Be safe. Wow. The love of a grandmother. Her tenacity and grit, allowing her to fight off a giant snake, all leading to the reunion of two young parents as they cradle their baby boy. It really fills you with a sense of bittersweet joy, doesn't it? Well, allow me to swiftly crush that joy, dear listener. Well, not just me. Most of the credit goes to the author of this next story, who is truly going to be responsible for your incoming shock and awe. That author is Reddit user Thousand Horns, aka Dark Dude, and his story is simply titled, Uncle Porker. 
Enjoy. I can remember my visits to my uncle as far back as being old enough to recall them. My folks often left me in his care when they traveled, which was frequently enough. They were both ornithologists and often got exciting trips abroad to view and document rare species of birds. I was always excited when they returned, as they would have tons to show me and spend hours over multiple dinner nights reliving their experiences. I ate it up. I guess I could have been an ornithologist as well, if I had tried. I did fool around on my own while at my uncle's ranch, spying on birds and other animals with my binoculars and snapping pictures with the camera my folks gave me. In fact, I spent most of my time there doing just that, in between helping my uncle tend to the smelly, grunting animals he raised. He'd done pretty well in the pork business after learning the trade and inheriting the ranch from my grandfather. My father had a little interest in it due to his fixation with the winged kind and so my Uncle Gene got it. I sometimes called him Uncle Porker and he would laugh. At times, he would laugh in such a hysterical manner that it mildly disturbed me and dissuaded me from calling him that for a while until I forgot about it. I stopped calling him Uncle Porker altogether after one particular day. I remember it so clearly. We were sitting in the kitchen, and I was eating cornflakes while he was reading the newspaper at the table after he had finished his own breakfast. I asked Uncle Porker if we were going to get up to anything special that day. At the sound of the name, he turned his head towards me, slowly, almost menacingly, and stared. He stared at me in complete silence for what must have been at least a full minute, and I remember not being able to quite describe the look on his face until I was older. That day, he looked at me with an intense sort of hunger in his gaze. I know it sounds completely out of the tree, but I have no better word to describe it. Eventually, after reducing me to a quivering mass of nervous jelly under that horrible gaze, he smiled. A normal smile. And he laughed, just like always. That was the last time I ever called him that. That ravenous, empty expression on his face when he looked at me was seared into my mind forever. The rest of that visit found me struggling to sleep and avoiding my uncle as much as possible. I tried to take my mind off of things by trawling the edge of the surrounding woods for birds I hadn't seen, and it helped to pass the time. I was, as you can imagine, more than a little relieved to go home. My parents were taken aback by my sudden reluctance to go when the next time rolled around. They asked me why I was bothered by it after having been there so many times without issues. I didn't really have an answer. What was I supposed to say? My uncle stared at me like I was the most delicious piece of food he had seen in a while for a full minute. It sounded insane and I knew it. I tried to say I was just bored of the same scenery, 
but unfortunately that did not work. There was no alternative plan, and I had to go. They promised, for the hundredth time, that the frequent travel trips would ease up soon. They were empty words at that point. I was apprehensive from the moment my parents dropped me off. I couldn't stop thinking about his leering face and that expression which made my skin prickle. Even when he greeted me at the gate and welcomed me back, I had to make a real effort to seem cheery and nonchalant. I was introduced to Mitch, a seedy-looking guy in his 40s who had been hired by my uncle to help out with what they called a, quote, new service they were implementing at the ranch. When I asked what kind of service it was, strangely, my uncle blatantly changed the subject. For the beginning of that week, everything felt increasingly wrong. I was seeing very little of my uncle and Mitch, which wasn't all that bad. However, the feeling in my gut would not let me rest. I couldn't help but wonder what they were up to and why they were so tight-lipped about it all. I just figured it couldn't be anything good, and half of me wanted to know what it was, while the other half felt better off not knowing. The whole secrecy thing came to a head when I went to visit the two chestnut horses my uncle kept stabled near the main house, and I found Mitch hiding there, surrounded by cigarette butts. He seemed to have been sitting there, chain-smoking for some time. I was surprised to find him there, but when I saw the state he was in, I asked if he was okay. That turned out to be a mistake. He almost immediately burst into tears and howled about how he couldn't do it anymore. Trying to question him went nowhere until he asked me if I knew what was in the large brown bags I often saw him carrying with my uncle. They were always dropped off in the evenings by two men driving an unmarked navy blue van, and I hadn't been able to see anything, so I wasn't too suspicious, until Mitch asked me that. I told him I assumed it was pig feed, as it was always taken into the barn to be converted into a sty for the big round beasts. He stared at me with a frightened expression, and asked me if I realized how close I was in saying that. I was beginning to feel extremely unsettled, and my uneasiness slowly mutated into writhing horror as Mitch finally snapped and blurted out everything. The things being delivered in brown bags were corpses. Human corpses. My uncle kept separate groups of crazed and starved pigs with the sole purpose of disposing of the delivered bodies. Mitch had dissolved into an absolute mess by the end of his shaky revelation, and to my horrified surprise, he ended it by pulling out a revolver, which he had planned to use on my uncle, and put it under his own chin instead. I stood there, in utter shock in the aftermath. The wood of the stable was stained crimson, and the dead eyes of Mitch held me in place until my uncle came running. 
He seemed genuinely upset and shocked by what had happened, and I was unable to speak or even move. He told me everything would be fine, and he would take care of the rest, so I should go and lay down. Yes, lay down, of all things. After everything I had just seen and heard, how the hell was I supposed to lay down? I pretended to leave, but in my stunned state, I wasn't thinking clearly, and decided to see what my uncle did with the body. I watched him fetch one of the brown bags, and soon enough, he came out of the stable, dragging the now loaded bags toward the barn. I know I should have called my parents, or better yet, the police, but I was gripped by a horrible curiosity, and I just had to follow him. He dragged the body into the barn and I just managed to stop the door from closing with my foot. I held it open for some time, listening and waiting. I couldn't hear anything, so I decided to enter the barn and find out what he was doing. I began to hear the squeals and grunts of hungry pigs the further I went, and it started to get darker before I found something I hadn't seen before. There was a trap door in the floor of the barn, and a large padlock lay open next to it. My uncle was definitely down there, and since the body was nowhere to be seen, he had obviously taken it down with him. I managed, after a major internal struggle, to open the trap door and make my way down as quietly and as slowly as possible. No one can be prepared for what I saw down there, and the horror of knowing something like that is actually possible will stay with me until I'm in the grave. Any innocence left in my youth was shattered into tiny shards in that moment as I descended the stairs and entered the dimly lit room at the bottom. There, in the center of the room, was a squirming mass of squealing, ferociously hungry pigs ripping at and fighting over the now thoroughly desecrated corpse of Mitch. They were charging and shoving and biting each other to get at the soft flesh of the freshly dead body and get the best chunks. Blood and flesh flew and crunched and squelched as the body was tugged in every direction and ripped apart. That wasn't even the worst of it. The dominator of the group, viciously snapping at the others and shoving them away while he tore at the corpse with his teeth, was my uncle. He was stark naked and covered in blood and gore and was overcome with wild savagery as he consumed the flesh of the body in a fury. I felt like my head was about to explode, and I couldn't feel my body anymore. I tried to run, but I couldn't. At least, I couldn't until he became aware of me standing there, and when he saw me watching, he grinned at me, his eyes gleaming with whatever awful madness had taken him. 
That was when my pure horror and adrenaline spurred me to fly back up the stairs faster than I ever could have otherwise. My heart was on pause as I heard his pounding footsteps and ragged breath hot on my heels. I was able to beat him and slam the trap door down, ramming the padlock home and locking it. I could hear him roaring in frustration, pounding the trap door from the other side as I backed away. As soon as I had gotten myself together, I called the police and then my parents. After the police arrived, they broke off the lock and went downstairs, attempting to arrest my uncle, but he violently attacked the officers and was killed in the struggle, as he was too aggressive and dangerous and wouldn't listen to reason. I never fully recovered from that. My father was supposed to take over the ranch after the death of his brother, but he ended up selling it immediately. I never blamed him. I would have never kept it either. To this day, I have no idea what drove my uncle to descend into such madness, and I never will. But I don't sleep the same, or think the same, or do anything the same anymore. My dreams, and even my waking thoughts, are still haunted by that bloody, grinning face with flesh between its teeth and madness in its eyes. Uncle Porker still lives on when I close my eyes, and maybe I'll never be rid of him, but one thing is for damn sure. When I die, I'm getting cremated. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about either of the authors, links to connect with them can be found in the show notes. Until next time, this is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.